I'm Lawrence Barreto. This is the Everything F1 podcast, driven by the fans for the fans. EF1 podcast. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today we talk about the Baku blowout. And we've got our special guest, Lawrence Barreto. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. With me, James Tiller, alongside me today with the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops and Sponge. How you doing, Coops? You okay? Yeah, not bad. Working away. How's about yourself? I'm very good, thank you very much. How about you, Sponge? You all right? All good, thank you. Loving the sun. Brilliant, yeah. It's nice to have sunny weather. Uh, and alongside us today, we've got a very special guest, Lawrence Barreto. Hi, Lawrence. How are you? Hello, chaps. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Uh, like Sponge, I'm delighted that the weather's good. Uh, not quite as warm as it was in Baku, but good nonetheless. So, uh, Lawrence, for our casual fans uh, who might not know exactly who you are, can you give us kind of a three-line uh, introduction to, to what it is you do and why it is we might want to speak to you today? Well, I could give you a three-line introduction of who I am, whether or not you want to speak <laughs> to me or not. I guess the, the listeners are going to have to decide. Um, I'm F1.com senior writer and um, I'm a presenter for Formula One across their social channels, Formula One TV and um formula1.com and i'm also a reporter for channel four as of this year um wow. i travel around the world following formula one mostly talking about them and writing about them and you've made us all jealous instantly that you'd have to do that <laughs> that's uh, where where we aim to be and uh, it's it's nice to watch you from the sidelines and kind of just dream of maybe one day in the future maybe being in the paddock with you we are available on all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, um, and our handle is at JoinEF1. Uh, and don't forget our website as well, www.everythingf1.com. So, first things first, before we chat about your uh, chat about your career and have an interview, let's talk about the race that we had at the weekend. Now, I don't know about you, Lawrence, it was a bit of a... I don't know, a bit of a mad one. What, 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 what can you can you kind of summarise how you felt about the race weekend? I think that the race itself, um, we, we joked about it when we got there because I think Baku's normally been one of two things. It's been super exciting or there hasn't been much action throughout. And mm -hmm. I think that although we had a few instances in this race, it didn't really come alive until that red flag towards the end. And and that two-lap shootout that um, I think Formula 1 bosses are hoping will be replicated in the new sprint qualifying format that's going to be introduced later this year. But um, I, it was a great Grand Prix with a with a great result. It kept things exciting for the title race. Um, mm -hmm. You know, misery for Max, misery for Lewis. You know, it doesn't happen very often for Lewis that he makes a mistake. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a great podium with, you know, so many stories. You know, Checo finally getting on top of that Red Bull. Sebastian finally back on the podium so he, you know he's not done yet and and Gasly who's been strong all year really I you know I would argue actually that he's probably been the strongest driver of them all if you oh, think wow. about machinery and what what he's getting out of it so it was a real good feel good podium um mm -hmm. after a, what I felt was a, a great weekend yeah I absolutely agree uh Coops did you want to add anything to that what were your opinions on the race weekend yeah well pretty similar to what Lawrence has said it 
I mean, I quite enjoyed the race before the crash. I mean, it was one of those. It was brewing for something, you know. I, I felt. I felt everyone was relatively close. You know, you had the the top three pretty close together. It was just. Mm-hmm. It was ready for something, whether it be a a, di- a dive bomb, somebody just going a wee bit wide. But then, of course, while Lance Stroll and a Pirelli tire decided to change that. But yeah, it was. It was grabbing my attention before the accident, and it certainly grabbed it after the accident. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sponge, have you got anything to add to that? I think it pretty much sums it up, really, wasn't it? It was It was an interesting race. There was always, I think, um, Crofty and the, the, the rest of the uh, boys, I think Paul DeResta kept saying, you know, there's, this is just waiting for um, a safety car. I, I actually found it quite funny that, they were saying Lance Stroll is holding out for a safety car, and then he was the one who caused the safety car. Um, yeah. You know, so unfortunately for him, but yeah, it was a good race. Enjoyed it. Another Azerbaijan Boster. Brilliant. Okay, well, let's break down some of the things that uh, that Lawrence did obviously mention. First of all, we can't we can't start anywhere else other than the Mexican himself, Sergio Perez, the winner of the race, had a fantastic race, did exactly what he was supposed to do. We didn't expect him to be the winner because Max was holding out uh, for a long time and obviously we had a blowout. But Sergio Perez, as I say, was was there all the race and he, he did exactly what he's been hired to do, don't you think? Uh, we'll go to you first, Lawrence. I think that this was the first weekend where Red Bull will feel that Checo was the right signing for them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's been growing steadily from race to race. He's been pretty tough on himself um, and has been working hard to get on top of that car. But this was a weekend where he kind of broke through. Um, Baku is a circuit that he's been very, very successful at. He had two podiums coming into that event. He could have had a, a third had he not clashed with Esban Ocon and I can't remember which year that was. Um, and there was a real feeling actually inside the Perez camp that he could have another strong weekend. I remember talking to... Uh, some of his close team the night before and they you know they were feeling pretty pretty good about things even though qualifying didn't go his way um in the race i thought he should have been leading the race anyway if, if mm. red bull hadn't you know um had a slow stop with him he would have been leading the race by that point um and who knows what would have happened you know thereafter so i don't, I don't think this race was gifted to him it was just that you know maybe it just came back to him because he had the bad luck at the start and and it came back to him at the end yeah, absolutely. Like I say, he was he was doing exactly what the team wanted him to do. He was, you know, he was controlling, kind of keeping Hamilton behind as well from the uh, race restart after Stroll. Um, so, you know, he was he was on form for that race. So, you've got anything to add, Coops? Uh, for Perez, I mean, the best thing to say is he said to everybody, "Give him five races to get used to Red Bull." Then you yeah. have the sixth race and he wins it. So, <laughs> yeah, he knows he knew what he was doing. It was uh, for once. A race, the luck in a race went to someone other than Hamilton. It was at the second race as Imola, where he slid off the track, and then there was a big accident, which meant he actually didn't lose as much time as he should have done. Mm-hmm. Perez's car lasted till about 50 metres past the finish, the start finish straight, and then they had to <laughs> park it. So, but yeah, Perez done exactly what he's supposed to do. I've said it ever since there was a chance that he could have went to Red Bull, but he's what's been missing since Ricardo left mm. and as I've said in other podcasts that we've done he doesn't have that pressure of Helmut Marko breathing over the top of him you know he'll go in and do his thing and this is him showing why he should be there and probably showing why he should be there after 2021 
Yes, uh, obviously he's he's only got a one year contract at the moment, but if he can continues to perform and if uh, Red Bull continue to be the uh, be at the top of the constructors table, there's there's absolutely no reason why they won't keep him. Uh, Lawrence, we'll go straight back to you. Do you do you know anything uh, about this kind of future contract uh, uh, at the moment, or is that just completely off the table at the moment until they see what happens? I think that for Red Bull, they're always in a fortunate position where they're not in a massive rush, really, to to decide what what's going to happen, both at the Red Bull team and Alpha Tauri. I think that what you guys have said is exactly right. I think as long as Checo keeps doing what he's doing, um, you know, even with Max's problems, Red Bull then left that weekend with a, a championship lead that is is more than twenty points, and mm. um, that could be significant as as things tighten up, and especially with Ashley Bottas struggling somewhat at the moment. That yeah. Checo is consistently scoring and then scoring big when Max isn't scoring big is, you know, like you said, exactly what they want. I think that Checo will stay um, at the team if he keeps delivering like this um, going forward. But like we are only in race six, aren't we? And this is supposed yeah. to be a 23 race ca- uh, calendar. And we don't know what will happen with the likes of Yuki Sonoda. You know, will he ascend to the point where Red Bull can't say no to promoting him next year? There's so many, there's so many unknowns at the moment um, that I think it's too early to say. It is. It probably is probably uh, a silly question for me, really, but a bit of a premature question. Maybe you can have you on towards the end of the season and you can give us your uh, opinion on that. Um, there's no such thing as a silly question, by the way. I think <laughs> like the driver market thing is just people are talking about contracts from before the season's even started. So I think it's it's a legitimate question. I just think yeah. that you know at the moment that they're not they're not ready to to confirm yet if he'd gone and won the first six races okay maybe they might have signed him up but i think it's too early so far well sponge actually is uh an advocate for perez actually beating uh max verstappen this year aren't you uh, aren't you sponge i think given half the chance he will um i think since i said that to be honest with you max has kind of shown a bit more maturity overall which will probably stand him in good stead but I do, I do genuinely think that once uh, Sergio gets used to that car, he's really, really going to at least push Verstappen probably further than he's ever been pushed before. So, looking forward to it. What, what do you think about that, Lynn Lawrence? Do you think, uh, do you think Perez could actually outperform his teammate, or do you, or do you think there's something secretly behind the scenes holding him back from that? Or so there was some data that I was looking at in preseason testing where if you took the best times and mini sectors and what have you that Checo did in both short runs and long runs, he was actually quicker than than Max in both wow. of those metrics. Obviously, mm-hmm. the trouble is it's easy enough to do that once. To do it consistently is harder, and that's obviously what we've seen throughout the time. There's been those peaks where Checo's looked all right. He had that front row start. He's had moments where he's been good. So mm-hmm. I would agree with Sponger, I think, that as he gets more settled, he'll be able to push Max more. But I think, if anything, that will just probably push Max to the next level uh, rather than Checo being able to beat Max. But then we don't know. You know, Max could have another race like this mm. and then Checo could score big and then suddenly Checo's in the title fight. Like, it's just... we This season already, we're seeing quite big results and big swings in a way that we haven't really seen in Formula 1 over the last few years. So... It'll be interesting to see how that develops through the year. But I think the more that Checo gets on top of that car, and he's clearly getting on top of it quickly, and he, the guys love him at the team. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, I think that he could be a real he could be a real talking point as the year goes on. 
He is, and we will definitely speak about him a lot more uh, as the season progresses. Um, let's move on then. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, the four-time world champion, had a very good race, uh, and he had a big smile on his face all weekend, um, just because he felt a lot more comfortable. Obviously, he had that, that error in... Uh, well, it wasn't an error, really. It was uh, due to other other mistakes on the track. Um, so he wasn't able to qualify where he wanted to. But um, what, what are your thoughts on Sebastian Vettel, Lawrence? He's it, it's got his mojo back, or did he always have his mojo? It's just been held back by the other team. Yeah, I think that he really struggled in that last year at Ferrari, and, and I don't think that he became a worse driver or that he lost his ability to, to do drives that can secure the result in Baku to win races and to compete for titles. I've always rated Sebastian, and I thought that he just struggled mentally at Ferrari. It just wasn't the right place. Mm. I think he came to Aston Martin. It was exactly the new lease of life that he needed. They were always going to put their arm around him, kind of make him feel welcome. He was just unlucky that, you know, he hardly got any laps in testing, the fewest of any of the race drivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the the car hasn't been as good as they all thought it was going to be this year, which means they're chasing their tail. So it's all of these factors put together meant that he just had a really slow start. And what was great is he obviously got to Monaco, didn't let him face him. Mm -hmm. And on a track where the driver makes more of a difference, he managed to string a strong weekend together. Exactly the same in Baku as well, but with the confidence, obviously, of that strong result in Monaco. And it's amazing what a little bit of momentum can do. And Mm. I think he's great for that team uh, now. I think he's exactly what they needed. He's doing exactly what they signed him for. Um, And I think he'll go from strength to strength. He'll always be limited, of course, by the car. I don't think the car is going to, you know, they're not going to be able to do this week in, week out. Right. um, Because they're all going to be swapping development to next year um, pretty soon. And they have got on a conventional track. They've got a bit to catch up on the rest. But I think the confidence Sebastian will get is going to make the difference, that 10 or 15% difference to trying to haul that car into places it it doesn't deserve to be. And that's what I think is particularly exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was just great to see that that Sebastian Vettel smile and you know him standing on top of his car at the end and and the whole team, everyone was behind him, you know, cheering uh, once he was uh, granted that podium at the at the end. Um, have you got anything to add about uh, Sebastian Vettel coops? Uh, I just enjoy seeing him being the Vettel that we remember. Uh, mm. I mean, he's a four-time world champion. He goes to Ferrari. He's not going to forget how to drive a car. And uh, as much as uh, the car itself didn't suit Vettel, I don't think the team really particularly helped him. I think they kind of hung him out to dry a wee bit last year. Uh, but yeah, it's great. He's, he's in a team that's liked. I think he's got a relationship with uh, the Stroll family anyway, as far as I mm. understand. And uh, they've finally got an understandable. I think they knew what the problem was for the Aston Martin with the... The low, the low rate car and the, the change in regulations. I think it was just finding, you know, what it, you know, getting that under control. And you know, last two races has got himself a decent position. Uh, you know, as Lawrence says, I don't think I'm not sure how France is going to suit uh, the Aston Martin. It's certainly going to suit the Mercedes better than this track. But mm. so that may translate to Aston Martin. It may not. But. It's good to see that he's happy. Uh, certainly deserves where he was, and should have been in the top ten shootout. God knows where he would have positioned yeah, his could, car if he got in he there. He could have. He could have won it. He could have won it. He certainly could have been mixing it up at the top uh, sooner. Um, certainly. Uh, well, let's move on to the third place person then, Pierre Gasly. Uh, another blinding race. He put, he put the car exactly where he needed it to be, didn't he? Uh, we'll go to you, Sponge, on this one. 
Uh, did you enjoy watching Pierre? Uh, yeah, his I was. Car ran the track. Yeah, I was quite happy for them to be honest with you. I think we covered this on our last podcast, and we said that they really needed as a team, and both drivers as well. They really needed a good weekend this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people have been tipping them to be right up there as the you know the front runners of the midfield, and they hadn't really kind of delivered until now. And I think this weekend, the whole weekend really was quite strong, and then Gasly's topped it off with a third place. Um, obviously with a little bit of fortune, but you know you you have to you have to hope for that kind of fortune, don't you? As a as a midfield as a, as a midfield runner, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we used to say it with Red Bull. They were they were there to capitalise. So yeah, well done to them. I, I I think that'll give them all a world of confidence and help them kick on for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence, do you want to add anything about the AlphaTauri uh, of Pierre Gasly? Yeah, so I think th- their boss, Franz Toss, has been saying for years that they want to finish P5 in the Contractors' Championship, and they haven't just they haven't really got the resource to compete with the you know the other midfield teams, your McLaren, mm-hmm. your Aston Martins, uh, your Alpines. But I think that operationally they're among the best in the business. I think they've built a car this year that can compete, and if they can consistently get the best out of it, like they did in Baku, there's no reason why they can't fight that fight for that P5. I think Gasly was strong from the minute he got into the car in, in FP1. He was consistently quick through practice into qualifying, didn't make mistakes, um, made made the most of it in the race, in the right place at the right time on a, on a track where he knows opportunities can, can come up. And he looked as excited for that podium as he has done for every other podium that he's got because mm. he properly loves it. He loves Formula One. He, he loves what's happening right now. He loves that team and they seem to be getting on so well together he seems to be able to drive that car in a way that I don't think he could do maybe at Red Bull when he had Mm. that chance there and so he's just reveling in the fact that he doesn't know what his future holds at the moment so if he can just keep doing the best that he can do hopefully opportunities will kind of open up in the future yeah exactly Uh, I I mean there have been hints and rumours again silly season saying Alpine are probably on the uh, on on his uh, case obviously being a Frenchman uh, and then wanting some uh, some French skill. Uh, are there any kind of is there any weight to that rumor? Do you know? I think that Pierre Gasly at Alpine would make a lot of sense. Like you said, a French driver and a French team. But the problem for him is that Esteban Ocon is up to his game massively this year, mm. and um, you know consistency probably would be good from this year into next year. And he's doing he's doing nothing really to suggest that Alpine won't continue to to build a team potentially around him in the future. And then Fernando has upped his game. In the last couple of races, it's been pretty strong all year in the race. It's just qualifying that he's been a bit weaker, but he you know, made some improvements in Baku. And if both of those are operating at a good level, there's no real need for Alpine to, to shake things up, at least for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's up to Red Bull, really, to decide whether they want to give Pierre another another year at AlphaTauri. I mean, he's doing little wrong, really. So mm. if they want if they want that team to be successful obviously not as successful as Red Bull but successful hmm. then keeping him for another year alongside Yuki who I'm sure is learning from him hugely and if yeah. he pushes the team forward if Pierre pushes the team forward Yuki's going to benefit from that so it would make a lot of sense but I'm not I'm not really sure what other avenues Pierre can can take that will kind of take him to the next step in his career. I think the biggest worry we have that I have for Gasly is he's a really talented driver in a situation where he's got not a lot of opportunities. You know, it, it kind of happens occasionally. You see that with 
good young drivers that come in in Formula 1 over the years and they come in at a time where things are relatively stable. You know, the McLarens aren't going to take him unless something really bad happens to Ricardo. I mean, he'll probably, he'll still get another year. McLaren aren't, they, they aren't the type to sack drivers. They're not Red Bull in that sense. Red Bull, they kind of talked about it last year that, I think Christian Hodder made the comment last year that he knows why he's not being looked at for Red Bull again. So made kind of comments that there was other things other than just a poor performance. You know, you don't. Where else is he going to go? I mean, Alpha Tauri, the way that car is this year to Alpine, is it a step up, really? I, I don't know. Yeah. But and as Lawrence has said, and we've said again in the podcast before, against my opinion of last year, Ocon's a lot better than this year than he has been. So it's it's a worry for guys because he is a very t- a talented young driver and. He could end up not being in Formula 1 through really no fault of his own. He's going to do everything he needs to do, but there mm-hmm. might just not be an opportunity and he might be stuck round about the kind of midfield area. You know, Ferrari aren't going to get rid of their two drivers. I think their two drivers are going to stay there for a long time. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, Pierre Gasly's uh, teammate, Yuki. Uh, hmm. You obviously have that. Shut up. There was that. Yeah, there was that outburst on the uh, on, on the radio when they were telling him, kind of, uh, push, 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 go on, Yuki. And he's like, I'm trying. Shut up. He, he needs to read it in. It's not the first time he does, he's had issues. Do you know what? I actually, I actually quite like it. You know, it's, it's, it's his personality. Plus, he's in the middle of a race. All the adrenaline's pumping. They're trying to give him instructions. He's probably trying to concentrate. He's like, ah, just shut up. It's not his first language as well. You've got to, we've got to remember that. Um, yeah, but he knows what, what? He knows what shut up is, Tyler. Come on. <laughs> he knows what he's saying. There's 18 other drivers that have a decent kind of decorum on the radio. Uh, Mazepin being one that, from what we've heard, isn't the best either. But come on. Stop trying yeah. to play the devil's advocate here. No, I, I like Yuki. Uh, do you, have you had many conversations with Yuki, uh, Lawrence? Yeah, I, I really like Yuki. I think if I was more into gaming, particularly shooting shooting style gaming, then I'd have more to talk to Yuki about than I currently right. do. Okay. But um, yeah, it's a difficult one with the team radio because I kind of take your point about he's in the middle of a race, the adrenaline's mm-hmm. flowing, you can snap, but then at the same time, if he continuously does this, it's it can't be great for his engineers who are basically just trying to help him. <laughs> so, I, but then he's so young that like we've got to keep remembering that he, he'll grow into this, he'll mature over time, and he will eventually stop doing this. He just mm. wants to win. That's so. This is the thing that I think with Yuki that he probably needs to try and get on top of is that every time he gets in the car, he can't win. And so he no. just needs to he needs to rein it back a little bit, and then just try and get the best of what he can on that day, and then maybe really push in certain times. But like like I say again, he's he's a young driver, and we're just seeing him learn in you know internationally, like on a world feed. So probably shouldn't be too harsh on him. And I think that Baku weekend was super important for him because he he got those points in his first race, and actually that just put the pressure onto him. And yeah. then he started making all of the little mistakes that, to be fair, Francis was expecting him to do because he's a rookie. He's yeah. only been he's only had two years of international racing experience. We can't forget that. So and he's learning on the job in Formula One. So I think he's doing a great job. I think he's a star of the future. I think he'll be in a Red Bull in the years to come. Um, and he's a great personality. And I think if he can kind of bottle that radio personality into a more digestible 
format and then we get to see more of him and his personality off track i think people are going to love him i think he's going to be an absolute star Oh, I completely agree with you. Uh, as you say, we 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 were watching the first race, and he just absolutely came out the. Uh, yeah, he, he came out with oh, I'm trying. I'm trying trying to think of a metaphor here. He came out with his you know full gloves on, and he was ready to fight, uh, and he performed really well. I think um, I, I think he was asked at his first race was it it was either what you expected from the race or what you expected for qualifying and you came out and said no I'm going to win or I'm going for pole and you're like alright okay it's your first race and you're an Alpha Tauri and you're yeah okay go for it I think it was Martin Brundle that said that it's like go I love it it's a good attitude to have though isn't it yeah I think that ambition is great in Formula 1 and I think that if he if he wasn't that hungry he wouldn't have got to where he's got to as quickly as he has done mm. Um, but I think that his the approach you take in Formula Three and Formula Two in the feeder series to Formula One is is got to be very different to to Formula One. But he'll only learn that by by competing week in week out. And we've only six races into the season, and I've already seen how different he is, how much more mature he is. He's got way, a way to go, but you can see that he's learning week in week out. And effectively, that's all Red Bull can ask for him. I think did, did Alpha Tauri move him to was it Italy? For this mm-hmm. for this weekend, they were like you're coming over. Yeah, next so he's, yeah, so just before Baku, he moved fully to to Italy uh, to be mm-hmm. near the factory in a way that Lando Norris moved closer to Woking, and Carlos has just moved to Italy so he can be close to Ferrari. So it's a very sensible thing to do because he'll just find he's going into the factory day in day out. Now he's getting to know the guys much better. Mm-hmm. He'll like work will absorb him much more, and I think that that will have a positive impact on him. I'd heard that he wasn't happy because he was in the gym twice a day and he was tired all the time. He hates physical <laughs> training. He hates training. He finds it dull. He finds it boring. So he'd much rather be playing computer games than uh, phys- doing the physical training. He sounds a bit like me, but I'm massively overweight too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say that, should I? I shouldn't put myself down. I'm going to be confident. No, no, um, no. You're, you're right. We all agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll go, to, go over to Sponge then. Hey, hey, shall we talk about tyres, Sponge? Uh, because obviously tyres played a big role in the race this weekend. Um, Pirelli, obviously, ha- using the they were using the softer set of tyres this weekend uh, in Baku. Um, and we had two blowouts, didn't we? Do you want to tell, do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, the Stroll blowout and, uh, and what your opinion was on that? Um, I, f- I think... Yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, they they've said that it was debris. I don't think anybody's seen any debris, obviously, anywhere to suggest that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Pirelli are running out of excuses, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, Stroll was minding his own business, waiting for a safety car, and ended up in the wall and caused the safety car. So, you know, it's, I, mean, I, I laugh, but it's not really a laughing matter, is it? You know, a, a a full tyre failure at that speed mm. going into a concrete wall um, I think it kind of brings back some very dark memories for me obviously with the Senna crash and um, you know that kind of thing um, but yeah I mean it, th- then... he was vi- he was physically shaking you could see kind of you know yeah. visibly visibly uh, sh- shook um, because of this uh, crash obviously he made his uh, announcements over the over the radio you know you know, just get me out of here, kind of thing. Um, Lawrence, uh, do you uh, obviously as a, a Formula One man, you probably do have to uh, stick with the official line of uh, of, of what's said. Uh, debris or blowout? Well, firstly, for Lance, I feel bad for him because he had that he had a big accident in Mugello, 
um, as well. So he's not he's not had the best of it in terms of accidents of late. Um, I guess from my point of view, we just have to wait until the investigation comes out. Um, d- to be fair, I did a track walk on the uh, Thursday ahead of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And there is stuff on the track anyway. You know, there's cans, there's there's all sorts of litter and rubbish. I'm not saying that that's what's caused it, but it's a street circuit. So stuff yeah. gets onto the circuit. Uh, we saw that branch fall down in front of Charles Leclerc as well. Um, it it could be all sorts. It's also like a, a, a circuit where they reach high speeds. So the tires are under significant pressure. The idea of bringing the softer compounds um, to this race, Pirelli said, was to try and avoid a one-stop strategy. So they tried right. to mix it up. Um, and I can only believe what they say when they say that, you know, their simulations say that the tyres could have gone much longer than than they did on, on both Lance's and, and Max's car. So I think we just have to, we have to wait and see if, if they say it's debris, then, then it was debris. <laughs> no, uh, nicely it, that was very said. diplomatic, yeah. that was, I think. Um, but we won't, we won't press you too hard. Uh because it was Listen, same... I think at the end of the day, you, you, I mean, you, you have to take the official line, don't you? Mm. I think one the thing that sticks in my mind is a bit of a track record is is kind of um, starting to 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 build now. I mean, over a number of years as well. In my opinion, there's been too many failures. Um, I, I think the first the first few that happens, particularly that weekend at Silverstone. Um, you know they had the benefit of the doubt. They they came out and said, look, we're working to the FIA. Um, you know we we've we've done exactly what the FIA have asked of us. You had to turn around and say that's fair enough. You know they they've done what they've been asked to. You can't really accuse Pirelli, but I mean they they made the decision to go a step softer this weekend, and it really didn't have the effect that they were aiming to. So you've got to question where where's the logic really. Surely the safety has to come first. They are in quite a difficult position, though. They've been asked to to provide tyres that don't last a race. And now, from a from a tyre manufacturer's point of view, they want to show how rugged and you know long lasting their tyres are. Um, so, I mean, they were happy to do it. So, I, it, it's a difficult situation. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, people are obviously baying for new a new tire supplier to come in they want you know they want to see a change um but we're going to have pirelli field till 2024 is that right uh coops sorry you, you said it the other uh, day yeah i think it's 2024 uh, i don't have it to hand but i'm sure i've seen that day uh... we've, we've got we've got pirelli tires till 2024 say and we've got new a new compound coming uh, again next year or or at least a new a new construction yeah they're going to be uh 18 inch uh wheels aren't they so they're going to be a completely different tire next year hopefully uh a bit more reliable but maybe they haven't been terribly unreliable uh, in most cases but it's just certain tracks and certain places Go, uh, yeah. carry on Lawrence sorry I was going to say that the other difficult thing is the tyre that we've got this year is effectively the same one that we've had since 2019 because obviously we pushed the regs back by a year from 21 to 22 so they weren't even supposed to race this year and that's why they made so many changes to the cars with the floors to try and cut the downforce. But the problem is Formula 1 teams are Formula 1 teams for a reason. They go and push the boundaries to try mm. and get as much of that time back. So Pirelli, for this season in particular, I think we're in an impossible position where they you know, they couldn't make a brand new tyre for this year for one year. It's not good business sense, and it just mm. didn't make any sense to waste time on development when they're trying to put everything they've got into developing this new generation of tyre. So 
you know, if COVID hadn't happened, you know, and we didn't push back 2021, we would probably wouldn't be talking about this. So I think it's going mm. to be a tougher year. They're probably going to have to start doing things like increasing tire pressures, which the teams won't like. But like you guys have said, you know, safety is important and they won't for a moment of light the fact that they had two issues in in, in Baku. Uh, but that is, you know, it's a unique circuit in that sense. There, you know, of course, there's a few, a few other ones on the calendar where the tires are going to be put under pressure, but it, this won't this won't happen week in week out no let's hope not uh, we don't want to see uh, drivers hitting walls at 200 miles per hour um, well let's let's talk about max verstappen's then obviously we, i know we have touched on his uh, uh, his okay well his perfect performance up until that um that, that incidence um he came into the weekend as leader of the championship and he leaves <laughs> the weekend as leader of the championship so it in fairness, he probably would take that uh, after the crash that he had on lap 48, wouldn't he, uh, Lawrence? You know, um, the fact that he's still in the lead, he probably thought Hamilton was going to run away with it and uh, be 20, 25 points ahead again or 20 points ahead again. Yeah, I'm sure that was kind of at the front of his mind when he got out of the car and he he saw that he'd done everything right, like he said, in that Grand Prix and, and deserved that victory, really. Um, and that sh- we saw the frustration when he was kicking that that tyre that, that failed. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, in the moments afterwards, I saw him, and he was he was pretty frustrated. But actually, quite quickly, and even before Lewis uh, had his moment on the track, he'd already calmed down a lot, to be honest. And he was like joking with his 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 team when he was walking over to the medical centre to have mm-hmm. a check because it was quite a big impact. Um, and then by the time he spoke to me in the TV pen, he was very pragmatic about it. And I think that's one thing that's really impressed me this year is he's just much more mature, Max. I think he he gets that he's he's in it for the long fight and he can't, you know, can't win every race a little bit like what we were talking about with Yuki. And I think that, yeah, of course it would have softened the blow when Lewis went out and that he kept the championship lead. But if anything, he's probably still frustrated because he could have, like you said, led the championship by a significant amount. And we are heading to a trio of circuits where Red Bull are going to struggle, I think, um, to, to be on top. I think they'll be, they'll still be the main threat to Mercedes, but I think that, you know, they've struggled to have an opportunity where they could have made a massive dent in, in both title championships really. So, um, yeah, a tricky one, but I think that maturity is something that he'll take away from it and it will be a bigger plus point later in this year. He can make those, you know, he can make those points back up. Um, if, if Red Bull give him a car that can compete. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about the uh, the Hamilton incident then. Uh, if you were watching the Channel Four coverage, uh, <laughs> have you have you heard this? Have you heard the the big scream from Mark Webber? Uh, uh, who Lawrence? hasn't heard that scream from Mark Webber? <laughs> oh, I mean, that's probably at its best, isn't it? I, I I'm, try, I'm trying to play the song. I don't know whether whether you'll be able to hear it. I, I, uh, not the song. The uh, the 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 audio. Um, just because I think it's absolutely brilliant, I want it. I want it on the podcast. Uh, where, do, where, where do I do it? Uh, share. There it is. We're underway. Lights out, and Perez immediately jumps across. Lewis Hamilton's going to get the lead. Lewis Hamilton takes it away, but he lands on it, and he's lost it. But yeah, it, it was it was probably a sound uh, that Mark Webber made uh, that that many of us at home made uh, at this instance because we thought, oh, you know. Hamilton's taken the lead quite quite quickly after the restart um, for the final two laps that they had kind of a shootout there. Um, and then he, I don't know, he, he pressed the right, the magic, uh, the brake magic uh, button and just f- couldn't brake. So he he went on to the rough, uh, runoff area. Um, what were your what were your feelings when you first saw that, Lawrence? 
Well, firstly, I was impressed that he'd made such a great start, to be fair. Yeah, so he did. He'd got ahead of Checo, um, and if he'd obviously hadn't have hit this switch that he shouldn't have hit, um, <laughs> he would have been leading into turn one and, and probably won the Grand Prix. Um, and we very rarely see Lewis make mistakes. And and so when he was talking in the TV pen afterwards, he's super humble. Like, mm. he admitted it was his mistake. And you could see that he was he was gutted inside because he just doesn't do this. Lewis Hamilton mm. does not make mistakes. Um, it was a dramatic moment. I think it was great. From a, from a neutral's point of view, I think it was great for the title fight. I think it was exactly what we needed. I think it would have been it would have been tough for many people to accept that Lewis had managed to get a victory on a weekend where you know he had no right to. Only asked mm. Valtteri Bottas what it's like to drive a Mercedes around there. Um, and after that race in Imola, when he made a mistake and then the safety car saved him and he managed to rescue a result, I think if he'd got a second one in, everyone's going to go, "Well, what is he doing? Like he's just getting you know luck after luck after luck." So I think it was I think it was uh, an interesting moment, and I think that I'm interested to see how he'll fight back in France. Um, he's fortunate that that's a circuit where Mercedes should be pretty strong. Yeah, it is. Uh, as you say, he doesn't make mistakes, does he, Coops? Uh, it, it's it's a very rare uh, circumstance that this happens. Um, we were just, I guess, fortunate as as neutrals. Well, we try and be as neutral as possible as neutrals. Um, that that it happened because obviously we 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 thought Max was going to be leaving the weekend with a a meteor advantage um, over over Lewis Hamilton, but it, it didn't happen. Yeah, I was out my chair when I saw it. I was screaming at it like, and you know that way you look at it for a second, going, Hamilton just made a mistake. Uh, <laughs> all right, and you, you actually, to be honest. I didn't think it was a mistake. I thought there was a mechanical issue because, as Lawrence has touched on, he doesn't do it. He doesn't. But then, if you if you look back, as much as he won last year, he might not have made mistakes, but Mercedes did last year. You know, bringing mm. him into, uh, you know, was it was it Russia where they told him he could do his practice starts and he got his two five second penalties. It was the team that said to come into the pit lane during the Italian Grand Prix when the the pit lane was locked, was closed. You know, so, I mean, they aren't, and then, of course, 2019 Mercedes German Grand Prix. You know, the less said about that, the better. But, yeah, it was uh, good for the championship. It's a bizarre one to be able to hit a button that pretty much turns off your rear brakes. It's a... Mm, uh, as far as I understand it, what that button is used for is in the formation lap to heat up the front tyres, to heat up the brakes in the front, they switch it. And I think, from what I found, what I checked, was it turns the brake bias to like 75% to the front. So it means that the front brakes lock where the rear brakes don't really work as mm. well as the front. And when it's that far to the front, your front wheels are locking up and if anybody who knows about cars when you lock your front wheels you can't turn <laughs> mm. so yeah it was it was good for her it was good to see there was a lot of smoke coming out of his tyres on the on the, the brakes at the start so I don't know if that had anything to do with it he said it wasn't but it certainly yeah, was well, we've seen we've seen 
we've seen breaks do that for you know uh, on restarts before so that's not wasn't so surprising obviously it was this this magic uh, this break magic button that that was the real killer certainly was the magic when he touched it in that <laughs> he certainly won't be thinking his magic no, no not at all um, how, how much do we think that max is in his head this season quite a bit because i don't think he would have made that that mistake without the max has just gone out i could leave here with a load of points max is really pushing me i need this you know that that kind of attitude and he's like he's he's blowing it and this is the first time in years what five years that anybody's really kind of pushed him 2016 was probably the last time wasn't yeah it? but well, yeah was the last I, th- time. I think i think Red Bull are in Mercedes' head. Mercedes are in Red Bull's head. I mean, Horner and Wolf are chipping at each other quite well. Uh, and I think Horner's came out and made a couple of wee comments already again. You know, we, we, we put a wee thing on our Facebook page about a celebrity boxing match between Wolf and uh, Horner. <laughs> uh, and it's slowly getting down that route, but it looks like things. Uh, It'd be great to see. Come on, lads! It's for charity. Let's uh, <laughs> let's arrange it. Who who do you think you would, who who would you take as uh, a winner, Lawrence, uh, between uh, oh Toto and Christian Horner? <laughs> I mean, the, t- Wolf's considerably taller than Christian, so I'm not yeah. sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't like. I don't know. It would be um, it would be a tricky one. <laughs> I think it's it would be F1's I, I, version of Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather, isn't it? I, I don't think they would. Uh, I don't think they would. <laughs> Hit each other. I think they were too busy in each other's corners to shouting across the room and chipping each other. I, think. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy that Toto called Christian a windbag. Yes, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> um, I I just I think that their their little spat or their war of words or whatever you want to call it off track is like a real nice side story to what's going on on track, and mm-hmm. it shows how much it means to both of them to try and win this championship and I think we've got we've had so many years now where Mercedes have been so far ahead and you guys touched upon it earlier that Lewis hasn't really had that much of a challenge Mercedes haven't really Mm. like the Ferrari one never properly materialized so it is interesting to see how they react um with Red Bull consistently pushing them and this is sport this is what you know this is what we want to see and you know when the tension when tension is created people crack people make mistakes everyone's human so mm-hmm. I think all we're seeing now is a proper championship fight and the results of that. We are. That's that's right. And it, it's great to watch uh, the uh, the seven-time champion saying, I'm not playing mind games, then instantly playing mind games uh, over in the next interview. It, it's it's You know what? It, it just adds to the, the fun factor for us uh, hardcore fans that watch all every interview and kind of see... You said you weren't playing mind games, but actually you just see it. It's it's just fun. It's it's obviously happening between the team principals, and it's it's nice to see it, and it's it's great to see it between the drivers as well. Um, long may it continue. <laughs> the fact that he said I'm not playing mind games means he's playing mind games. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it works. Uh, but maybe all... he's just trying to show that he's he's unflappable. But we yes. we cl- clearly see this this weekend he wasn't completely unflappable. Uh, let's move on anyway. Uh, let's talk about the Papaya team. I've got the T-shirt on today. Uh, Lando Norris performed well. I mean, probably had a bit of a troublesome kind of qualifying and maybe start to the race. He wasn't performing to his, you know, 100%, but then he still dragged that car towards the end of the race uh, into a great position, actually. Um, you know, he was, uh, was it fifth? Um, yeah, fifth, fifth at the end. So he's, 
Inter interesting uh, statistic for you. He's the only driver to scored points in every single race this hmm. season. So uh, he's doing what he's there. He's doing what he's there to play, to to do, and he's he's showing that he's got the skill. Um, you know, he previous years people everyone's gone. Oh, he's, he's yet to kind of show us his real talent, and this year every single race is 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 done something special. Uh, Lawrence, have you uh, what what do, what do you know about uh, Lando Norris and how he's performing this year? Yeah, I've been obvious. super impressed actually by Lando. Um, I wasn't sure which way it was going to go after he kind of broke up that bromance with Carlos and how he would mm. react with Daniel coming in with so much experience. But it only seemed to have energised him this year and he's really taken ownership of that team and it's it's helped him in a way that Daniel's not settled in to McLaren as quickly as, as, as I guess the team would have hoped to. Mm -hmm. um, and Lando's just made the, the most of that car week in, week out. Um, you know, I don't think he's really had an off weekend. And even when he's had a bad qualifying, he's managed to recover that quite quickly in the race. And he's he's keeping them in the fight with Ferrari for, for P3 in, in the Constructor Championship. But he's also reminding the team that he's not young. He's not a number two driver. Mm -hmm. he, he can be someone who they can rely upon. And Lando's the kind of driver that I think will probably want to stay at McLaren maybe forever. And, you know, he's the kind of like the Ryan Giggs at Man United. I, I, yeah. I honestly don't see him wanting to leave that team. And so for him to be able to show them this year that he can do that is super important to him. And I, I think moved him up another level. I'm intrigued to see how he reacts when Daniel does get on top of that car, because Daniel will do that. Yeah, And it's, it's interesting to know how he will cope with Daniel maybe beating him for a succession of weekends, um, whether he can keep his head up and stuff. So um, that's another spicy story. There's so many great storylines, and that's just one of them, I think, going into this year. Yeah, and it's it's great to watch. Uh, Sponge, obviously you're another McLaren fan. You, you're enjoying watch, watching Lando kind of stamp his authority on the... Uh... On the tr on each circuit this year. Absolutely, I think he's he's proving now that they made the right decision. Um, I mean, you know, he's 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 proved, hasn't he? Really, that even you can you can put somebody like Daniel Ricciardo in a car, you know, in the same car as him, and he's showing him the way. I know that I know that Daniel still has to get used to the car, and he, he takes his time. We see we say this week in week out, but. How long? How long do you do you kind of say? Well, actually, Norris is just doing a better job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think that was the the one thing when when Hamilton went off, I jumped up because I was like, Lando's going to get a podium, and then I realised <laughs> Hamilton had gone off, and I was like, Oh my god, Hamilton's just gone off. But my <laughs> first reaction was like, Get in there, Lando, have a bit. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's there or thereabouts, and I think he's he's really pushing Daniel, and I think. Just, just to be in that position just shows how good he is. I'm, I'm really, really excited for his future. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do completely agree. I think he's the kind of person that will just stick around at McLaren forever. Um, and I hope he does. I'll be very proud of him if he does. Um, he, he seems like he's got that loyalty. He's got that drive. Um, so yeah, long, long may the, uh, the papaya rise. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's let's uh, go to each of you to uh, talk about one more driver each. We don't want to talk about every single one because we'll be here all night. Uh, so, uh, Lawrence, who would you like to choose out of the people that we haven't spoken about yet uh, about their race this week? Um, well, I think only because if we just briefly talked about him with 
Ricardo. I think that you're right. I think he he does need to to get on top of the car pretty quickly, but it's really easy to forget that he didn't have any testing in an old McLaren before he got there. Mm. Uh, he had 1.5 days of testing to learn a new car, which is nothing really. Mm. Um, and we've seen Sebastian struggle, Fernando struggle, Carlos struggle to an extent um, in a new team. And I think people underestimate how difficult it is. It's the buttons, the systems, the way you talk to your, your, your team and even Lando said this year that that car is much harder to drive. Or it's a different type of car than it was last year. It's slightly more unpredictable. Right. And Lando has the basis of, of a couple of years at McLaren to really build on and having been in the family for, for years now, four or five years. And Daniel doesn't have any of that. So he's got to make sure he doesn't drop his head. I think he, he was kind of making progress this weekend, actually. And it was annoying for him that he crashed in Q2 because he he was building up to something then um, and it put him on the back foot. But even in the race, I thought he he showed, if you look at all the data, he was much better in that Grand Prix, even if the final result doesn't show it, than, than he has been in Grand Prix gone by. So um, the quicker he gets on top of things, the quicker we've got a spicier fight between him and Lando, a spicier fight between Ferrari and McLaren. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start getting those weekends where Daniel just pulls out some magic like he did and got a couple of podiums for Renault last year. So... Um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how quickly you can get on top of it, but I'm almost certain it'll be soon. It needs to be soon, doesn't it? Because uh, Ferrari have just overtaken McLaren mm-hmm. in the in the constructors, so they're, yeah, they're two points ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so McLaren do need him to to up his game. I, as you say, he will because you know he is he has proven that he can do that uh, over the seasons. He's j- uh, just recently gone. Um, it just needs to happen a bit sharpish now because points mm. are becoming very valuable. Um, not that they're never not valuable, if that makes sense. Uh, okay, Coops, what, who do you want to speak about? Fernando Alonso. Okay, go go for it. He, he finished sixth in the Alpine. He had a good race. It was uh, the last, the two, the two lap sprint race at the end. Basically, just it's that's a that's Alonso territory. That you know. Mm. If you want a driver in a two-lap sprint and you can pick anyone, you're picking Fernando Alonso because he just puts that car where it needs to be, uh, to the detriment of a lot of folk around him. Uh, so yeah, he, it's the same as uh, Ricardo. I mean, he quietly got on with it. Uh, can't really compare him to Ocon because Ocon's uh, Renault engine turned into a bag of spanners four or five laps in, I think. <laughs> yeah, I give it the gearbox or the, the engine, one of the two. Uh, but yeah, Fernando Alonso. Uh, just showing why he's back in Formula One. Uh, it was good. Uh, and then, he's, sh- he's shaken off that rust that maybe he came into this season with. Well, there wasn't much being Fernando Alonso, and we might need to have a separate discussion about Valtteri Bottas because the, you know, being where he was at the end of the race and probably one of the best cars on the grid is just not acceptable. Uh, but I think it's not just him. I think there's other issues behind the scenes with him. There's a team issue at the, the moment. Uh, he was v- very much the supporting role in qualifying, uh, which meant obviously after the incidents that he wasn't able to get out there and, and perform uh, a, a lap with somebody else in front of him breaking the uh, breaking the the toe, make it make it the toe the for toe, him. Yeah. Giving mm-hmm. him the toe. Yeah, that's the. But word. then in the, uh, what... in the in the two sorry in the two laps sprint he dropped. Two or three places, I think. You know, the the Alpha the, the Alpha Romeo's passed him. You know, he's he's a driver that if you stick in the midfield, he doesn't go anywhere. 
Daniel mm. Ricardo goes forward, Alonso goes forward, Hamilton definitely goes forward. Bottas just doesn't seem to push. You know, you, you stick him in tenth on the grid. I think he stayed in a bit tenth more or less the whole time. Uh, but there's other things going on. The comments from uh, Total Wolf after the Monaco Grand Prix saying it was partly his fault with the with the wheel nut and you know just general. I believe he did apologise about that or clarified that at the start of the weekend though, didn't but he? He, he uh, shouldn't have said it in the first place. You know, keep that within the you know have a chat within the thing. Don't come out and say, oh yeah, the wheel nut machined itself to the axle. That was the driver's fault. What? <laughs> no. No, come on. You know. What are your thoughts on him, Lawrence? We'll go over to you for Valtteri Bottas. He obviously had a, a terrible weekend. He's had a couple of terrible weekends on the trot. Yeah, he's he's have he's had yeah, like you said, two bad weekends. He's struggling in a way that Lewis is too, but not to such a great extent with the tyres. Essentially, he mm. can't get them into the window. So yeah, he dropped at the restart. Of course, he dropped back because he just can't get the tyres to warm up, and so they were cold tyres, and he was he was buggered really. Um, but it was disappointing that he wasn't able to make much progress through the field during the Grand Prix. Um, he had the, the setup that had slightly more downforce on. That seems like it was the wrong way to go because Lewis with the lower downforce seemed to, to have more performance overall. Um, I feel a bit bad for him, really, because he's at a loss to really explain what's going on. He feels like he's going as fast as he can in the car in the, car, in the way that it's set up at the moment. Yeah. And when that's happening, it means he's generally not got any answers. And so they're going to have to go backwards, backwards, backwards and start again and then build it all up. And the season's going very quickly now. I think he's not scored in three of the six races so far, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's going to heat the pressure on him. Um, it, yeah, it, it's difficult for him. He's He's not performing at a time when George Russell... He's doing a decent job at Williams. You know, he's Mr. Saturday in qualifying. He's banging on the door of Mercedes daily, probably going, sign me up for next year. And it's it's going to be difficult for Valtteri if he doesn't start turning things around very quickly. Ultimately, he's not doing what the team need him to do. And that score points, it, especially this season, because Red Bull, well, they're, they're, they're in the lead of the constructors. So he, he needs to be bringing in those points. Um, so he's not doing himself any favours. Is he, Sponge? No, not at all. <laughs> I want. I well, want to raise a steward's inquiry here as well. By the way, gone because Coops, Coops took Alonso from me as my mm. other driver to mention, <laughs> and then he just went off and then chose another one, which was my yeah. other choice, which was Bottas. I mean, okay, I've come let, on. There's, there's penalty let... points that need adding out here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't talk about penalty points. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a dangerous manoeuvre that I did, so I shouldn't get penalty points. Maybe just a grid no, drop. All right. Complete unsafe release of the second driver. To be fair. <laughs> God, then uh, there's got to be another driver that you that you could talk about, Sponge. I think. I think the only other one that I wanted to point out was Leclerc again, because I think, I think, the maturity, for his age. Uh, the the quality of his driving, the fact that he just keeps his head down, he doesn't say anything. He's, he he seems like I mean Lawrence will be able to shine a lot like you know more personable light, light on this, but he just seems the most genuine, um, humble, um, nicest kid that you could probably hope to meet, and he's living a dream, you know he, he, he's living a dream kind of the opposite way to Danny Rick, you know Danny Rick's kind of you know he's he's all smiles all over the you know all over Instagram all the time and everything, and Charles just seems to be. You know, he's he's living that dream, 
and he's quietly going about his business putting that Ferrari again in places that it shouldn't be. I think this weekend was another example. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's super humble. I think he's a great character. In Monaco, even though he had such a difficult weekend on that Sunday, he stayed late, um, congratulated Carlos after his podium, was signing autographs all the way out, you know, on the way on his push bike on the way home. Um, he, you know, chatted to fans every time I saw him in and near them. Loves being at Ferrari, thinks, it, you know, it's a great team for him to be there. Mm-hmm. He's, he's making the most of a car this year that probably suits him a little bit better. Um, he's not been scared by Carlos coming in. If anything, they're working very well together. And you, you kind of said it, Sponge, he's, he's out driving that car. He's getting results in it mm. that, you know, that car doesn't really deserve. He benefited from the toe and that's why he got pole. But, you know, he would have still been in the top four mm-hmm. with or without that toe. And what he's done this year is has been pretty special. And I think it probably just reminds Ferrari that that's why they signed him up to that massive long-term contract. I think, yes, uh, they're going to be very happy seeing him uh, perform in the way he is, and, and Carlos to, to uh, well to a, a massive extent as well. What were you going to say, Coop? Sorry, uh, we were talking earlier about Lando staying at McLaren for the more or less the whole of his career. That's Ferrari and Leclerc. I can see that being a career partnership. You know, I don't, I don't see where Lando would fit in at another team. You know, given his personality and stuff, I think they two married together, and exactly the same for the Clerk. I mean, yes, he was at Salba slash Alfa Romeo for a year, but still as a Ferrari driver, I think Leclerc and Ferrari just work. I don't see, mm. I, I can, I, you couldn't fit in. Like, if you go down the F1 2021 route or whatever. Like if you play the career mode and five years down the line, Leclerc signs for Mercedes, it just would seem weird. <laughs> you know, it, I think it's uh, it's just a perfect fit, and they're going the right way. They're quietly they've, they've they've sucked up last year, you know, dealt with it, took it on the chin, and they've made some really good decisions. And yeah, it looks like it's. Uh, I think the two of them could stay there for the rest of their careers, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe. Um, let's talk about something that Leclerc said in, in the race, actually. He was uh, surprised when Max Verstappen went off uh, and he raised the the point that the safety car didn't come out immediately. Um, we, I don't want to talk about this forever because I know it's we're, we're, we're getting on here in the podcast. Um, but what were your thoughts on that, Lawrence? Um, it, it was a late call, wasn't it, for the safety car? Is, is Michael Massey up to the job? Is he, he, he's made a few mistakes like this. Uh, and it's, it's a safety concern, uh, which is obviously the, the main... Yeah, I think for for Charles, um, it you know it's a fair thing it, to raise in the driver's briefing, which I'm sure he will do in France to have a chat about it. Um, I don't know. I think I think Michael, you, Michael kind of got thrown into this job. Um, yeah, and so it's still quite early days, and we're so used to Charlie White and have done it for so many years, and with all of that experience. I don't think he's doing a bad job. I, I think it's like a football referee. Not everyone's going to be happy with the decisions that they make. I know that this particular topic is is on safety. I don't mm. think he'll be making any decisions that you know threatens anyone's safety. He's not there to make a great show. Like he's there to because he's he he he's responsible for everything that happens on that racetrack. So if something bad happens, it's down to him. And so mm. he obviously doesn't want anything to go wrong. But um. I'm sure they'll talk about it. Hopefully they'll learn from it. Um, I did, I personally didn't think it was anything too bad. Okay, fine. It took a little bit longer than some might feel that it should have been. But mm. in when you actually narrow it down, 
it's still a very short space of time to be making a decision when you've got lots of things going on in your head. You've probably got lots of team bosses and, and team managers talking to you. You've probably got a lot to kind of digest that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay. We won't push you then. Um, the last person I want to speak to speak about then is uh, Nikita Mazepin almost trying to kill his teammate. There is rumours and rumbles about him having to go and do some military service in Russia. Uh, so he... I'll sort, I can sort that and I can, can kill that off right now. Okay, got him. Right, he will not get his, is it his master's or his degree or something unless he does a year's military service. He's not been asked to go and do it. He's just been told unless, until he, to finish his schooling, he has to finish Easier, so it's not going to be an immediate thing that's going to take him away from no, the seat. Unless he wa- unless he wants his degree or whatever it is, he has to go and do him a year's military service. So no. Okay, but let's let's talk about that. Uh, obviously, uh, Mick Schumacher was closing in on him at a very high speed, and he he flicks, uh, flicks the car flicks to the yeah. right. Flicks to the right as a as a defensive, a very very late defensive move, and uh, obviously rightfully so. Uh, Mick Schumacher was was furious. Uh, was much said about that after the race, Lawrence? Um, publicly, no, but I'm sure they would be discussing it behind um, closed doors. I think that they're both rookies. That that, that doesn't excuse any obviously any actions, but um, mm. I think that it's difficult for those guys because they're they're driving a car that's at the back of the grid that they're not really going to be challenging for anything. Mm-hmm. And so the key thing for both of them is to beat the other one, and so yeah. therefore it's it's much more intense than it would be for positions at that back end of the grid. I think that both are kind of chasing their tails a little bit um, to try and show that they deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick's doing a better job than uh, Nikita, but then he has come here as the F2 champion. Um, and it's always going to be quite difficult to drive a car that is op- is kind of performing in the way that it is done. Like Nikita's had tons of laps in a Formula 1 car, but it's been a Mercedes, which is yeah. obviously going to operate a very different way than than the Haas is at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. You can see why Mick was was annoyed because of the speeds in which they were, they were going. Um, I'd like to think that obviously Nikita didn't do it deliberately. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's something that here, the two of them and Gunter would have sorted out on Sunday night before they left. Okay. Well, that's all we really need to talk about about the race. And there, there are were obviously uh, probably a few other points that we could go on, but we will be on going on forever. Um, I'll quickly read out the results. Uh, it was obviously Perez first, Vettel second, Gasly third, Leclerc fourth, Norris fifth, Alonso sixth, Tsunoda seventh, Sainz eighth, eighth, uh, Daniel Ricciardo ninth, Raikkonen tenth. Uh, Giovinazzi was 11th, 12th with Bottas, Schumacher was 13th, Mazepin was 14th, and Hamilton was 15th. Uh, yeah, and Latifi obviously had that in- that incident where his team told him to stay out when actually they meant come in, so he was 16th. Uh, Russell was a DNF, Verstappen was a DNF, uh, and Stroll was a DNF, and of course Ocon was a DNF uh, after lap four. So it was a great race, really interesting, uh, and I know I enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to more, many more races uh, in Baku in the future. So we've got our guest here, uh, Lawrence Barreto. He is the Formula One uh, writer, um, journalist, F1 journalist. He's worked for BBC. He's worked for Channel 4 now uh, this year. 
Um, that's correct, isn't it? You've worked for mm-hmm. BBC previously. Yeah. Um, so, how did you get into this role, uh, uh, Lawrence? What, what 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 did you do that was uh, that was that got you spotted uh, within the world of F1? Um, pretty simply, I did a journalism degree uh, at Bournemouth. Got my first job at Sport Magazine, uh, writing about Formula One. There, I did. Uh, I interviewed Lewis, Jensen, Michael, one to one. Um, for, worked there for about three years and then got a job at the BBC working on their live text commentaries. But then I tried to do all sorts there just to kind of um, spread my uh, experience. So I did the Olympics, I did Wimbledon, I did all wow. sorts really. Um, and then Autosport uh, offered me a job to travel the world and that's really what I wanted to do. So at the BBC, I was kind of, I did the British Grand Prix, but I was doing the rest of it from from the office. Right. Okay. And they were looking for a reporter. Um, so I took that job and I did all the races for three years with them. And then F1 said that they were creating a department and wanted to boost their written content. So I went there and uh, kind of has evolved this role from writing to doing more broadcasting, which is what I'd like to do in the future. Um, fundamentally, I do this job to to because I love interviewing, like the interviewing element is, is my favorite part of the job. Uh, I like okay. talking to people. Yeah. Um, so we've just evolved this role into something where I just do a bit of everything now. Um, and then Channel 4, they've, we've added that to kind of what I do uh, at Formula 1 uh, this year. So yeah, and many jobs, many jobs for me. That's good. No, and you've got yourself a podcast as well that you do with uh, a few of the other journalists, which I, I listen yes. to sporadically. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Chris Chris Medland and Nate Saunders. Uh, we started the podcast called The Paddock in during lockdown, just because mm-hmm. we hadn't seen each other for months. And it was a good <laughs> idea. It was a good chance to chat um, about the same sort of stuff we'd talk in the pub about. Um, and it's just become a thing, really. Um, so it's uh, it's good fun to do because, like this one, you just get to chat to your mates. So um it's, it's time well spent yeah absolutely brilliant um so should we go to coops or sponge for a, a question let's go to sponge first question so i'm, I'm gonna i've decided that this is a question that i'm gonna ask everybody um mm. travels the world with formula one um because i think it's a good question to help fans kind of plan if they're if they're looking at going abroad but mm-hmm. past or present if you could choose a a, a a race not just a circuit but a race weekend that you that you like the most you know in, in terms of uh, you know the circuit itself facilities traveling to and from the cities around there where, where would you recommend i think singapore i think because it's a city race um so you can turn it into a holiday um where you go to singapore and you can do malaysia thailand vietnam cambodia whatever you want around it but the the race itself is brilliant it's a night race so it looks cool um you can have the the fan zone is great and what they do in terms of things to do other than just watching track action is really good they've got concerts every night um there's tons to do in the city um so you can you t- it's a proper event really um and viewing spots you can sit in a grandstand you can maybe watch it from a balcony in a hotel go to one of the bars on the top of the marina bay sands hotel um it's it's a proper event that I think that if you're trying to convince someone in your family to go to a Grand Prix, there's enough other things other than Formula One to say, no, look, you can do this, that, and the other, and actually the Formula One's pretty cool. Then um, I think it that is a good one. And it would be followed very closely by Canada for, the, for, for many of the same reasons, really. Montreal, you can get the tube there. It's not very far from downtown. Great restaurants, great bars, plenty to do. 
um that they um the track itself is brilliant the fan mm-hmm. zone's really good there's tons of spots that you could sit at the circuit and enjoy it um so those are the two that i would definitely recommend uh- I love, I love, yeah, I, lo- I love Canada. It's a, it's a great track, and we've had some really great races as well uh, in the past. Um, Coops, question for Lawrence. In any kind of part of your your career, what was one piece that you did or interview you did that you're particularly proud of that you quite liked? So when I went to Valencia to interview Michael, so it would have been in his first year at Mercedes. Okay. And. Um, I hadn't done much with him before. It's, it, that was a one-to-one interview. I hadn't done much with him before other than like group sessions or the scrum type sessions or media tables. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't had like a time to just do some, like what you tend to do is have some small talk with the guy or girl that you're interviewing beforehand. And then you obviously go into the bit where it's all on record. And um, I went in and I remember the first thing he did was ask me if I wanted a drink. And I said, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea. And he actually went and made the cup of tea. Himself. Oh, wow um and brought it back and made himself one and then we chatted for five ten minutes about running because um he just asked me like who he asked me a bit about myself basically and he was pushing he was doing i think a marathon or a half marathon or something at the time so we were chatting about that and then i remember the pr came over and said oh look like you're running out of time but you haven't actually asked any (laughs) and and michael was like oh no it's fine like we'll just start from in a minute once we finish talking about this and so it was a real insight into what the what kind of guy he was so when i grew up the first race i watched was the 1994 australian grand prix so what a great one to start with watching with my dad and so i became a schumacher fan and my friends all supported damon hill so Uh, it was very cool for me to to meet the guy that I had got me into Formula One, but also I was fortunate I got to him at a point in his career where he'd probably mellowed a bit anyway. But I was fortunate that I got to meet him and he was actually just such a nice guy who wanted to talk to me. And I didn't at any point tell him I was a fan or or anything like that. I just had a chat to him and was, do, you know, like I would chat to anyone and then just did my job for the, the on record bit as I would do. So that was, that will probably stand out as one of the, the best things that I've ever done in journalism across the board really um and was an experience that kind of probably acted as a foundation for every other interview that i've done um to this day um and just in the way you approach talking to someone mm-hmm. uh, what you're trying to get out of it um and to enjoy it essentially okay so conversely then so you've had a, a proud moment you you've had a, a great moment with you what it would have been probably your idol, uh, look, looking at Formula One drivers. Um, have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth uh, and said the wrong thing in an interview? Um, as, as, as have you had, ever had any anybody kind of bite back and uh, and say, "Hang on, you can't ask that question." Yeah, I've done, I've done plenty of difficult interviews. Uh, the the difficult thing when that we do sometimes is when I'm doing TV interviews straight after an FP two. Mm-hmm. And you might talk to all 20. It's very hard to follow an FP2 session and know exactly what every single person has done uh, and then be able to, to to ask them about it. And I, really early on with Kimmy, if you don't phrase the question right with Kimmy, <laughs> he he will have some fun with you and he'll bite back. Right. Uh, but, I, you know, I learned the hard way that he wasn't nasty or anything about it, but I, it just made me think, oh, I just need to find a different way to, like, take notes during a race to just make sure that I'm on top of this as best as 
I can. But the thing is, actually, ironically, the more you do it and the more they get to know you, they fundamentally know you're good at your job. So if you say something wrong, they're not going to they're not going to do you over because they know you're human. <laughs> but the hardest person I've ever had to interview is in most sport is Bernie Eccleston. Oh, yes. You just needed hundreds of questions because his answers were like one, two, three, four words. And he enjoyed the, he enjoyed watching you squirm. He enjoyed making <laughs> you, like putting you under pressure because it was, that was entertainment for him. He would only do yeah. media because it's entertaining for him. So he had to get some fun out of it. So I remember the first time I interviewed him, I'd run out of questions within like two minutes. I was like, well, I can't possibly end the interview now. <laughs> so then you're just, you're just trying to come up with stuff to talk about and, and, and try and build more on what he says and stuff. So that was a massive learning experience as well, just in terms of like prep and research and and just learning to be able to respond to, to anything really. Always have a question ready to go. So if you could choose one of the seasons that you have been a journalist for or journalist during um, that you've enjoyed from kind of start to finish, uh, what, what would be the best season for you uh, as, as a journalist to cover? Oh, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Part of, me, part of me wants to say 2015 because it was the first year that I covered Formula One. So like it's special to me for that. But I think probably in terms of excitement, it was 2016 because... To, to be, I'm lucky that through COVID, I've been able to go to the Grand Prix and to be mm. able to see things happen. But a lot of my colleagues obviously haven't for, for reasons of trying to keep the numbers in the paddock down. And one we were talking the other day about one of the best things about being there is, is being there in the moment when big events happen. So whether that was when Nico and Lewis collided in, in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and being in the same room as both of them at the same time and just feeling that tension. Um, you can't you can't buy that you can't and you can't tell someone else that and and they understand it in the way that you did because you were there and I think it's moments like that um there were so many of them that year as it built and it built and it built and it built that um I think that that has probably got to be the most exciting season because for me most of the seasons that I've covered full time anyway Mm-hmm. Lewis has been pretty dominant or you know so I haven't really had that that excitement I didn't get to cover say that like 2007 or 2008 which would have been mega or even 2009 when no one would have seen that coming and stuff so yeah um yeah for me I think probably 2016. One that I just kind of thought of there is uh, you've been able to be in the Formula One paddock during Covid is do you have you seen anything that you think will probably stay post-Covid? that they've brought in because of COVID or any changes that you think that, you know, is it just going to revert back to the way it was once they're allowed to revert it back or do you think there'll be some? Um, no, no, I don't think it will go back to the way it has done, but I think the teams have probably seen other ways in which they can make their drivers available to fans, to, to media, that they can continue to do um, once the world gets back to normal. I think that we'll, we will revert to things like plenty of guests back in the paddock, sponsors back in the paddock, that, you know, that kind of thing and, and, and fans getting closer. But I think there'll be a way whereby we can utilize the, the sports property, I guess you'd call it better um, so that everyone gets the most out of it. So, but I think there are certain things that the teams will be delighted to stop like zoom. I think the drivers are just bored of doing media <laughs> things on zoom because it's too sterile. Um, yeah. You know they don't get the they don't get any vibe off the people that they're talking to. Um, 
And I think while they probably initially thought, oh, this is great, I think very quickly they realised it wasn't very good. Um, I think that the way that the paddock operates has become much more efficient in COVID time. So I think they'll just scale it up and so it will operate in a, in a much better way. Um, I think that things like scrums, so like you used to get camera crews getting very close together, kind of jostling for position to speak to a driver who's then buried in this like group of people. I mm-hmm. don't, I think that's the end of that. I just don't think we'll see that anymore because I think people won't be comfortable with that kind of invasion of personal space. Mm-hmm. So I think certain things like that will probably change, but other things like a packed grid in Monaco, for example, that's going to happen, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it will change a little bit, but you know, not massively. Does that mean that Britain are going to be like at the forefront because everybody's going to need to queue? Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess so, and it should be very efficient, shouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we, we are world champions already. Let's have it, Martin Brundle at the front of everyone. <laughs> I can't wait for Silverstone because I think Silverstone's going to wait. It's going to feel the closest that we've had to a proper Grand Prix event. You know, and I mean event in terms of atmosphere and everyone who should be there being there for a long time. So and brilliant oh, qualifying Thankfully. races as well. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see how that works out. Well, hopefully it'll work out. I have my reservations, but then I'm a purist. I just, I don't like the gimmicky side of it, and I still don't, I can't get the gimmick part out of my head for it. But, you know, we'll see. I'll give it its due. I've got a couple of questions. I asked a couple of friends actually um, that I'm that I'm with, and and they uh, they've got a couple of questions from them that I want to fire across to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from Carl King. Carl King is from the Monkey Seat Podcast, mm-hmm. uh, so he wanted me to to ask you: Does Raikkonen getting a point really make him a winner as of yesterday's winners and losers? Should he should he just retire? It's quite a, a barbed question, I think. Is, <laughs> uh, have you have you been giving Raikkonen points in your articles <laughs> recently? Well, firstly, thanks very much for in it, reading winners and losers. <laughs> nice that someone has read it um i think that kimmy has actually driven really well this year i don't know why everyone's giving him such a hard time like he's been in the t- he's been like around 11 12 13 in all the races this year apart from when he collided and smashed into the back of antonio in portugal mm-hmm. um he's been i think he's been pretty mega the the thing that kimmy is great at is developing a car and so alfa romeo i'm massively benefiting from having kimmy at the team um they they need to change a few things and he'll be scoring points consistently again i don't think he's done yet and also i think formula one's all about personalities and kimmy even though he's not he doesn't say much i think he's a massive personality and i honestly don't think he's like stopping another driver at this point in time from getting into formula one i think it'd be different if like there was a queue of five or six drivers and kimmy was just sat at a seat and wasn't Mm. operating at a high level but i think he's doing enough to to do that and i think antonio's learned so much from him that's going to make him a better driver. So, especially while Alpha aren't kind of fighting at the point at the front of the field, I think having Kimmy in that team is is hugely beneficial. Cool. Uh, I've got another question from Steve Jackson, actually, from the Grid Talk podcast. Um, can I can I ask Lawrence uh, now that we've got a good spread of circuits under our belts? Does he believe that Red Bull truly have the more competitive package overall, or are they just capitalising on the Mercedes having a couple of off-colour weekends? I think that they do have the best package, but not by very much. And it they are it is quite circuit specific. So I think you're going to get certain circuits like France where they're not going to be the best package. And right. I think Merck are going to be in a position where they could get a one-two, for example. What Red Bull have to do is go to circuits like 
you know, read the Red Bull ring where they performed pretty well in, in recent years and smash out of the park. I think that they then have to make the best of it when they go to say a Silverstone and it's going to be a bit harder mm-hmm. um, and then win it circuits like Hungary where, you know, they should do. Um, I think they, I, you know what, I think they're really much in the fight. I think because development's going to switch very quickly to next year, what they've got is what they're going to have, you know, pretty soon once the next run of developments get put on the car. Um, so I think we could be quite competitive towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. And then actually one of them is going to have to make a big decision. Do they divert a little bit of their budget from 2022 back into 2021 just to make the difference to win? And yeah. for a team like Red Bull, who've been who've struggled to have a championship winning car, that's going to be super tempting, isn't it? Of course. For Mercedes, less so really, because, okay, of course they want to win this year, but in, they, they'll probably see the longer game, whereas Red Bull might think, oh, if we don't win this year, like BMW gave up in that year and then never won the title again. Mm-hmm. If we don't win this year, and then what if they don't get it right this year, next year? And, you know, the history suggests that they probably won't get it right first time around, or yeah. at least from the from the very first race. Um, then they, then they potentially throw away winning the championship for several years. So oh, there's so many things to play out this year. It's it, it, It's great. It is a really good year. Um, I'm enjoying every single race. Uh, every race has had something special to talk about and something specific to that circuit or to specific to the, you know, to, to a, a, a certain driver in the race. Um, mm-hmm. Is this, obviously you, you talked about 2016 being your favourite, is, is this uh, kind of different to last year um, reporting on it? Because obviously you, you have got that extra bit of spice uh, to talk about. Are you, are you seeing lots of more kind of comments on social media as well and, uh, and kind of, uh, people but getting are you, are you hearing the buzz yourself um for this season yeah i think the de- there's definitely a, an increased interest from people talking about formula one who wouldn't ordinarily do so um anecdotally you can see the newspapers are covering formula one much more than they they would do mm-hmm. um i think that the way you would see formula one reported on general news sites is different i think people are, are loving the fact that not only is someone else challenging mercedes you've got a great tip for tap battle with lewis and max and christian and and Toto, and I think that this is arguably the most exciting one that I've I've covered so far. Uh, it's just disappointing that we're in COVID times, you know. So that you know the rest of the the, the, the way that a Grand Prix would would work in normal times, the fans seeing, you know, a driver celebrating to an empty race um, mm. circuit is it's really hard to see. Of course, they've got their guys in part Ferme, and of course they're going to be happy then. But we saw the Indy Five Hundred. When Helio Castroneves jumped up onto the catch fence in in front of all the fans, that was great. Side. Yeah, like massive fever, and we just obviously just don't have that. So I, the quicker that we can return to something like that would be, I think, would be great for Formula One. That's what this season needs. I think mm. it needs that kind of that love from 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 fans from and having the, those grandstands packed to really make the most of the fact that they have got a proper title fight going on in front of them. Can we see Lewis Hamilton climbing some kind of uh, netting uh, uh, Silverstone if he gets he's to uh, win the I'm race? Sure he has done, done it. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's he has. done it before, hasn't he? And, um, I'm not sure, actually, what capacity Silverstone are allowed. Is it still 25%? Is it 50%? I'm not sure what they're allowed at the moment. But mm. that grandstand in front of the pit lane will be uh, will at least have different uh, an amount of fans in it. And I think you might see Lewis doing that kind of thing. If he Especially because the title <laughs> fight will be so tight by then. Hopefully. Oh, yes, definitely. Okay, well, I'll ask a question that we ask every single person that comes on our show. Uh, We've had a a mixture of answers. You have got five English pounds. 
you're going to put it on either Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, I'm guessing, to win the season. Uh, which, which one would it be uh, out of the two? Who's going to win this year with your five English pounds? Lewis, I think. Oh, Any reason? It's going to be close, but I just... I'm not sure. I'm not sure Max is going to do it on the balance of what the circuits we've got left are. I'm just not sure it's going to happen. I think, yeah, no, I'd say Lewis. He's got the consistency, hasn't he? And, you know, he's experienced uh, in that kind of field. Okay, so what about, um, this is not the the, the the strict question that we ask everyone, but um, the constructors, can you see Red Bull maybe pipping Mercedes to the post on the constructors? Yeah, I do think that one's the interesting one, actually, especially the way that Perez is driving. I can't see him going backwards now. I feel like we're on an upward trajectory now. And so now it's that constructors is probably going to be decided by Perez versus Bottas. Yeah, so, which is not so, much of a fight um, at the minute, really, is it? <laughs> well, at the moment, you're right, Coops. It's, it's not. But um, I guess let's move away from these two circuits where tyre warm-ups are hugely important and see what happens on a more conventional circuit. And I imagine Valtteri will be... Like, he's stronger in Austria generally, and he's all right at France as well. So I imagine if we have four races, we'll suddenly be... You know, we'll have forgotten this run of races that Valtteri's had. You never know. Okay, well, I, I realise the time. We've kept you for quite a while now. Uh, thank you very much for coming to speak to us. Uh, it's been really interesting. And we would love to have you on again in the future, uh, maybe towards the end of the season, if you'd be happy to come along to speak to us. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Um, good luck cutting this podcast out because we have been chatting for quite a while. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Uh, that's Adam's job. That's nothing to do with me. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming to listen to us today, to our fans. Thanks to Lawrence too, obviously, for obviously speaking to us. Um, we are obviously on all social medias. That's Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Facebook is our biggest uh, following. And they're all at the handle JoinEF1. Uh, we, of course, do have our website as well, www.everythingf1.com. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, it really does help us uh, and gets our... Uh, voices into the ears of more of our listeners um lawrence is there anything you want to promote while you're here your podcast your articles where to find you yeah so you can read um all of uh, my written work on formula1.com um you can follow stuff that we do on formula one social channels which is across instagram facebook and twitter um they're probably going to tell me that i should promote something else as well but you can get the f1 tv which is the streaming service Obviously, watch Channel 4 um, for the highlights. And, yep, we do a podcast called The Pad Hoc, uh, which is across all the places where you normally get your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast this week. We will catch you all next time for our preview of France. See you again soon. Bye-bye, Coops. Bye-bye, Sponge. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Lawrence. Thank you. Cheers, guys. <laughs>